Scripture this morning comes from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Now the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether or not they will follow my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning... Because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him. What are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God. Let your spirit move and dwell in this place, that we might be changed and transformed by your life-giving word. Amen. So periodically, God calls us all back into the desert. All of the great biblical examples of faith had to spend time there, including Abraham, Moses, David, John the Baptist, Paul, and even Jesus. You enter the desert when you leave behind a season of life that was well known, and you move towards something new. The desert journey is hard because it is so threatening. Resources and assurances are few. Questions and anxiety are plentiful. In the desert, you discover that you have no choice but to trust God, which is why the desert is a place where souls are shaped. In the text prior to this morning's passage, we follow the Hebrews through the Red Sea and out into the vast Sinai Desert. Today's text takes place about six weeks later. They are now out of food. So they begin to complain to Moses. 
When we read about this journey, it's easy to think of the Hebrews only as this group of ungrateful whiners who have short memories of God's faithfulness, but who have long lists of complaints and worries. But today I want us to challenge that perception by trying to put us in their sandals. When they left Egypt, the Hebrews had heard vague promises of freedom. Freedom that they had known nothing about for 400 years. There was vague talk of a better life. There was vague talk about a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But what did that mean? What exactly was that? There was this vague process for leaving Israel and leaving Egypt in the first place. There was no voting. No one asked them if they wanted this journey. They left Egypt because they were essentially kicked out. Because Pharaoh was so tired and fed up with the plagues. And God traveled along with the people, but God traveled along with them in a cloud. Clouds are vague. So God's presence wasn't exactly very tangible. And the reassurances that they would survive this journey were very vague. Where specifically is the food and water? This whole journey was an experience of the mysterious and the vague. Now, vague is one of our least favorite adjectives. If you give a report or a presentation at work, the last thing you want to hear is that it was vague. When your daughter announces that she is getting married and you ask about their plans for the future and she tells you that they plan to live on love, that's nothing that you want to hear. Vague frightens us. We are a people who prefer plans and strategies and numbers and details. But my question, I wonder just how effective have all of our concrete plans really been? Are you living the life today because this is exactly what you have planned? Or more likely, did some mysterious interruption to those plans redirect your path? Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you had to make a move, change a major, sacrifice some dream. Maybe you fell in love unexpectedly, which tied your life to another. The life you loved was interrupted, and that changed your life. Or maybe you were expecting to fall in love, but you never did. Now, at the time, the interruption may have scared you to death. But now you might be pretty grateful for the life that you have. And you are glad that God didn't settle for your plans. The desert is a place where we learn to give up control, which is mostly what our plans are about. And the desert is a place where we learn to receive the mysterious exciting future that God has for us. Now, like us, the Hebrews weren't initially too excited about all of this mystery, about these vague promises. The people didn't just complain that they were out of food. They also began to romanticize about the good old days back in Egypt, 
It says, where we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. I had to look up what a flesh pot was. <laughs> I'm still not quite sure I understand. It sounds like it was just a place where they could eat their fill. It had only been six weeks, and already they had forgotten that they were literally dying as slaves in Egypt. Now, when our lives have been disoriented in some way, don't we often just want to go back to the way things were? We always critique the vague mystery of the present by trying to improve on our memory of the past. But once we have entered the desert, there is no going back to where we were or who we were. The future is ahead, and only the God of mystery can get us there. Now, God responds to the people's anxiety about food in a very tangible way. He provided the daily blessing of bread from heaven called manna. It was a fine, flaky substance which appeared every morning. And it came with some instructions. Every family had to gather their own. You couldn't store it up or hoard it or the worms would eat it. So you had to gather it every day, except on the sixth day of the week, when you could gather an extra portion for the Sabbath coming up. It wasn't much, just enough to keep you going on the journey. All of these descriptions are wonderful metaphors for how God cares for us along the way in our desert journey. Daily, tangibly, personally, and sufficiently. Although never enough to remove our anxiety about tomorrow. We have to trust that there will be more manna when we need it. This is what Jesus had in mind when teaching us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. To pray those words is as if to say, no matter how hard I try to plan and control and secure my life with with money, with exercise, with work, with relationships, God, I know it is only you that can truly provide what I need. And you will do it one day at a time. The best reason for seeing Manna as a blessing comes from its name. The literal translation of manna is a question. It's, what is it? That's what manna means. It's, what is it? That means that every morning the people would go out and gather the what is it. The mothers would prepare it as effectively and creatively as they could, which was tough because there is no what is it helper. Thank you, Jim. (laughs) The family would sit at the table to eat. The kids would ask, what is it? The mother would sigh and say, yes. They'd bow their heads and pray, thank you, God, for what is it? This meant that day after day they were taking in this question of mystery. 
What is it that we are doing out here in the wilderness? What is it that we are becoming as a people? Your soul also grows strong and through the spiritual blessing of questions. What is it that I am called to leave behind? What is it that I am being led toward? What is it that I am becoming? This question perseveres all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament until we get to the sixth chapter of John where Jesus himself identifies himself as the new manna. Jesus is claiming that he is the what is it. But that means that the answer to the question is another question, but a much better question. Now the question is no longer, what is it that you have to do? Now the question becomes, what is it that Jesus Christ is doing in your life? The answer to that question was answered on the day of Jesus' baptism. That was when Jesus identified with us in an identity so complete that when his Father in heaven got excited and ripped back the skies to say, you are my beloved, he was talking about us as well. What is Jesus doing? What is it that Jesus is doing in your life? He is giving you the love of God. He is calling you the beloved of God. Nothing that we accomplish at work, at school, nothing we save, nothing that we consume is going to satisfy this deepest of all the soul's yearning to be loved by God. This wasn't a vague, I love you, coming down from heaven. It came in the tangible flesh and blood incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. And to this day, the risen and descended Christ continues to heal our hurts, to feed us with daily bread, and to forgive our sins, all out of this love that he has given us. And when we find ourselves out in that desert wilderness again, It is only to learn more of the sufficiency and power of that love. Where will your wilderness journey take you? You don't know. I don't know. What you know is that you can survive anything, anything, with the daily manna of God's love. But that means that you still have work to do. What did God call the Hebrews to do? They had each day to go out and collect the manna. They had some action as well. I'm going to give you a great suggestion on how we can do this in the year 2016. Many of us now have smartphones. So if you go to your app store... Kurt, you can put the first slide up. And you search for the Bible in one year. This awesome app will come up. Download it. It's free, which is great. Every day, open your app 
for some daily manna. Each day has three readings. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and then either a portion of a psalm or a proverb. And along with the readings, there is this brief commentary from Nicky Gumbel. Now, maybe you'll recognize that name. He was the founder of the Alpha Course that FPC offers every year or so. Relatable, relevant reflections on the readings. Go to the next one. If you don't have a smartphone, that's okay, no shame. You can use the program still on your PC or your Mac. Just go to BibleInOneYear.org. There's even an audio feature that you can listen to the readings and reflections, which is a great way to spend a car ride, if you ask me. And really, is there anything better than hearing a reading and a reflection from someone with a British accent? (laughs) I mean, come on. This is an invitation to spend 15 minutes a day prayerfully reading scripture in search of the manna. It may be only one phrase that renews you, that restores you in your belief and trust in the love of God. You may have been brought into this desert season of life, if that is where you find yourself, to learn that the love of God is enough, even when there aren't any blessings attached, and even when it is just manna. When it is God plus nothing. Those who have discovered that are the only people who are free because they no longer fear losing what we all inevitably will lose. And when it is that we discover that we are free, that is when we have found the promised land. Amen.